I'm very excited today to be chatting with Brendan Fairbanks from Perchwell. I'm going to let Brendan talk to you a little bit about the company. We're going to talk about real estate, data, listing services, etc., etc. Brendan, welcome to OnSite. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, um, uh, especially in light of what we're going through with this pandemic, hopefully you're somewhere safe and in a clean environment and uh, all good. Everyone good from, from your side? Yeah, thanks. Everybody is. We've, uh, we're all working from home at this point. We were kind of prepared, so had had time to, to prepare and make sure that it would be smooth and, and easy. So we're all good. Awesome. Let's keep it that way. I'm not going to talk to you about this uh, coronavirus and pandemic. I'm talking about you know the things that uh, I wanted to discuss before this. Tell me a little bit about yourself personally, where you're from, and uh, you're based in New York City now, I believe. But uh, where are you from originally? I grew up in uh, Bedford, New Hampshire, a small town. Uh, moved to New York after college to work in finance in uh, in investment banking. I graduated college in 2008, so right into the financial crisis. Feels you know a little bit similar to what's been happening lately, coincidentally. But I was always into real estate data, kind of as a hobby for fun. I was either I was working in finance in the energy space, so nothing to do with with real estate or tech. I fell in love with New York City, with New York City real estate, with New York City real estate data. I thought it was a huge, it was a big, a difficult problem to solve. So I was manually aggregating data from public websites, Department of Buildings, listing sites like StreetEasy, um, tracking it over time. So that sounds really kind of extreme. How, how do you do that as a hobby? How do you get to that point? I mean, you're talking about analyzing data and doing things that, you know, the average person a has no affinity towards and, and B that wouldn't know where to start. So let's break this down in a granular way. So you got to, you graduate in 2000. Uh, where did you graduate from? Uh, from Dartmouth college. In okay. Didn't go too far from home. <laughs> All right. And then you want to get into the financial markets. Where was your goal? Where did you want to work? Back then I kind of thought that I was interested in a career in finance so I started in investment banking in 2008 in the middle of the financial crisis. A couple of years after that, I moved over to a private equity firm called First Reserve, uh, which was then the largest private equity firm focused on the energy space. And I thought I'd be working in finance and, and likely energy for, for my whole career. What a brutal time to go into the financial markets coming out of college in 2008. That must have been rough. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It um, it was certainly scary. Although I would say that it was a or ended up being a great learning opportunity, just because there was so much turmoil and there were you know a lot of people, more senior people who were uh, being let go. I, as an analyst, was lowest on the totem pole, and so was able to step into roles that I probably otherwise would not have had, except for the fact that. Uh, that more senior people were not there anymore. Um, so it was certainly scary, but it was it was a great time to to learn. And and I think that I, I probably got a probably learned a lot more in that period of time than I would have if if I graduated into a market that was um, humming along well. So then, how did your how did your interest in real estate data begin? 
You know, I can't I can't say exactly for whatever reason I was really into real estate data. I was I fell in love with New York real estate. Probably firstly, I was I was the guy who was, you know, um, probably misrepresenting my ability to to buy a place um, just in order to get into open houses so I could check out some of the properties that um, that were on the market. I probably probably was at a core open house that I had no business being at at some point. So and then from a data perspective, it was a huge, huge problem to solve. The New York real estate market in particular was is extremely nuanced, extremely complex. And I couldn't find a good way to make sense of it, a good way to understand it. So I turned to Excel spreadsheets and and scraping data myself to to try to figure out what was going on in the market and understand it. So you're doing this at home, like what on a on a computer and you're just taking data. Where were you getting your data from? Uh, so a lot of different places. Uh, so listing websites, things like StreetEasy and Zillow and Trulia, New York City, uh, Department of Buildings, Department of Finance. So the city is great with what they call open data, which is they make all city data available publicly to uh, software developers uh, with the hopes that software developers will do interesting things with it. So that's everything from transactional records, property tax records, building data, geospatial data, it's all out there. And so I've started to aggregate it and uh, play around with it. Did that help you find and identify a home? <laughs> yep. I actually, I looked to buy a place, I guess it'd be 2014. I was working with an agent from Element, actually. She was super smart. She was awesome. We were doing a lot of the manual work that I'd been doing for fun myself in our search. And I remember saying to her at one point, look, I know what kind of commission you're going to get if I buy a studio or a one bedroom here and I know how much work we're doing. You know, Feel free to tell me that it's it's not worth your time and I need to go and do this on my own. You know, I will understand. Uh, and she said to me, no, this is what I do with all my clients. This is just part of the job. You're not any worse or you're not that much worse than, uh, than a normal client. So let's, uh, let's keep going. And I said, great. Ultimately, I didn't transact. I couldn't get comfortable with the bet that I was making, despite the fact that I wanted so badly to, to transact. So I said to her, I'm going to resign my lease. I'll call you in a year when, uh, when it comes up and we'll look again. And that was that. Are you still well, in a rental? Still renting. Yep. So in, in that intervening year, that's when I came up with the idea for Perchwell and quit my job and and started on Perchwell. So needless to say, I have not bought a place since then. I'm assuming you felt at that time there was no one source that you would need to make an educated decision to purchase a home. Exactly right. You know, I thought that there was like there's so many factors at play, especially in New York. There are huge differences between neighborhoods, between uh, amenity profiles of buildings. In New York, it is incredibly expensive to buy. I was really just kind of shocked that there was no one source or there was no, uh, frankly, even set of sources that could give you the information you needed without a large amount of manual work in spreadsheets and with manual data entry and, and, and everything like that. Working with professionals, with agents was certainly helpful. But there was still a lot of work that 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 I and the the agent had to do manually to to try to comb through all the data and try to understand anything and everything that uh, that we needed to understand to to make such a large purchase. 
Why do you think that is? At that time, there was no one source just because it's too complicated, so many data points? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think, look, I think in, in hindsight, it's, you know, it's a bit shocking that there, there was not. And I think that we've been able to, at Perchwell, really start to build that. But as I look back and try to think about why that was the case back then, I think it was, it was an extremely difficult problem to solve in the first place. There had only been, um, or this, you know, I mentioned earlier, this open data concept uh, where New York and other municipalities were aggregating and providing their data to software developers. Um, that, that kind of uh, movement or that idea really started to take hold in 2012, 2013, 2014, which I think is also a foundation for being able to do the kind of analysis that, that I'm talking about. So it was perhaps not really even possible before then um, to do it. So you start Perchwell. How do you start the company? What is your goal? What is your, you know, and how do you get, how do you fund something like this? What does Perchwell look like at those, you know, at that early stage? So, yeah, at the earliest stage, it was, it was me in my living room. I kind of looked at this and said, there's a huge opportunity here. This, this has to exist. This needs to be put into the market. And I think that back then that I can do it. I had no background in technology. I worked, I was working in finance. I kind of said to myself, look, no seed investor or venture capital investor is going to write a check at this stage with no product um, to be shown, no connections in the industry, no validation or even proof that I, that I know what I'm talking about at all. So I did not try to raise funding. And instead, I self-funded with, with a little bit of money that I'd saved up over working in finance for five or six years and, uh, and got it off the ground that way. Whatever I couldn't do or teach myself to do, I worked with external third-party contractors uh, freelancers to to do and um, got a basic product into the markets and from then or at that point um, then started to raise then raise a little bit of, of venture capital I mean that's a really ballsy move like what are you going through at that point you know you're in your living room you're self-funding I mean like that's a true entrepreneur story what are you going through at that point in time in retrospect I should have been a lot more scared than I was. I was just naive enough to do it and think that I could actually pull something like this off. And as I look back and, and realize kind of just how close I was to the edge with, you know, a few months of rent left in my bank account, for example, uh, and thinking to myself that, okay, well, this is such a great um, opportunity. We're, we're really going to knock it out of the park here. So when we need to raise funding, I'll be able to raise funding you know, immediately uh, was my thought. And that actually turned out to be the case, luckily, but it's highly unlikely or that, that we were very lucky that, that that actually turned out to be the case. So anyway, long, so I guess to answer your question, my, I never really thought that there was any question that this would work. I was naive enough, optimistic enough to not really feel that, uh, that there was a chance that there'd be a, a major problem. Uh, but looking back, I, I certainly should have been more worried than I was. Yeah, I can relate. Sometimes ignorance is a good ingredient for success um, <laughs> in the long term. I remember when um, when you and I met and started working together, I think you said something to me like, um, 
this is probably going to be a lot harder than you might think or expect. It's a tough industry. It's a tough problem to solve. Just be prepared, you know, more on a personal level. Wanted to make sure, wanted to make sure that I, that I knew, um, what I was getting into. And as I look back, it's, you're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thankful that you were kind of ignorant at that point and forged forward because we use your service. I mean, you guys are clearly the leader in data where we stand right now. So what does that look like? So you you managed to get funding and then when do you leave your living room and hire people? How does that happen? So we raised a, a million and a half dollars in seed funding uh, at first and we we raised that on the premise. So we'd gotten a basic product into markets and some clear indications from from agents and you know individual agents and teams that that they'd be willing to pay for a premium version of the product. So the data visualization, the analytics, kind of everything that uh, that we now have. Back when it was little more than an idea um, on a PowerPoint, and so with that we were able to to raise a little bit of funding. And yeah, like I said, left my living room. Um, I think I hired a few. I think we hired up to a team of four people here in New York. All engineers, all focused on building the product. We started in a tiny little, I don't know, ten by ten office with some desks crammed in, and then over the over the last few years, grew into larger and larger spaces that we work. And then finally, I think two years ago, moved into a permanent space in Soho at One Ten Green Street. Oh, One Ten Green. That's- that's where I started my real estate career as a rental agent almost 30 years ago. There's good energy in that building. That's a Tony Goldman building. It is. Yeah, it's, it is such a cool building. I love it here. It's really cool, and it's got a lot of character, and it's, it's really fun to be here. Yeah, there's a lot of great energy there. That block is great. A lot of creative, small companies. So what is the state of the data market right now? And, and by that, I mean... You know, if I'm a buyer and trying to get accurate data, where do I go? What do I do at this point? And where are we in the evolution of this industry uh, in yeah. being able to provide insight to both real estate agents, buyers, and sellers? So you make a good point that it's not only data, but it's really it's insight into that data and it's understanding those data. And so to answer your question bluntly, the where you where you go if you're a buyer is you go to um, you go to an agent or a broker who's using Perchwell, because that agent in that um, in that case is going to have access to not only underlying data, but the tools that they need to make sense of those data and put those data into context for you in your particular situation as a buyer. We firmly believe here at Perchwell that. That you can, you know, you can have as much data as as you want, or you can dump, you know, reams and reams of data onto a consumer or onto a potential buyer or seller that don't mean anything. It's all about making those data meaningful and useful and applicable to that buyer situation, which has to be done by a professional, uh, by an agent. And so it's it's really important to to not only have access to the data, but also be working with somebody who can help you understand those data and, and ultimately act on it. I believe we were your first client, if I'm not mistaken. How yep. many clients, how many how many agents, companies are using Perchwell as of today? Yeah, so so Core was was our first all the way back in 
late 2017 is when we launched with you. Today, we're now, we're now at a few thousand agents still in New York City. We're now the largest listing system by listing volume here in New York, working with most of the top firms in the city who don't have um, their own internal listing system. So we've, we've grown immensely since those initial days. And we're really excited about, about that and what we're doing going forward. So how, how do we go forward? I mean, I think, you know, you say something that really resonates with me. I mean, people definitely need a real estate agent who is knowledgeable, who knows the market, who has insight, you know, because real estate, unlike companies trading on a stock market where you have earnings per share and you can kind of quantify things in a much more mathematical you know, there are a lot of intangibles in a piece of real estate, you know, things that affect value that can't really be quantified. Things like your view, your location, the ceiling height, the level of finish, the orientation of the apartment. I think there are probably as many, if not more, intangibles in the value of a piece of real estate than things you can quantify on a spreadsheet. Um, so, you know, that's where I see the role of the real estate agent and the expert real estate agent being valuable to both a buyer and a seller. How do you see the future of data in informing those things and helping assist both the buyer, the seller, and the agent make informed and educated decisions? Where are we going? So a couple of things. I think, firstly, I agree 100% with your point that there's a, a huge amount of intangibles in, in real estate. And these intangibles mean different things to different people. So if we tried to quantify them, for example, you know, you may be, you, buyer number one may be willing to pay a um, $100 a foot, $200 a foot uh, for a building with a pool or for a building with a certain you know, level of amenities. Whereas I, as buyer number two, am not willing to pay that for you know, amenities X, Y, Z because... You know, for me, I can I can walk upstairs and don't need a doorman or a pool or anything else. Um, so, even as we do start to quantify items like that, it's going to mean different things to different people. So, agents will have to be able to turn that information into something that's that's useful for their client in any given situation. Number two, I'd say that even with the tangible, um, even if we were to say that everything is quantifiable, which I don't I don't think that it is, but let's just let's say that for argument's sake. There is still a reason that, for example, attorneys pay lawyers to negotiate contracts, to defend against lawsuits, to initiate lawsuits, even though all of the information, all of that information on the law, every single case that's ever been decided is publicly available, is online, is in theory you know, accessible to the consumer. But the consumer needs to work with a professional to understand that and to actually make sense of that and to actually use it for their given situation. Same thing applies with real estate. Real estate agents provide a professional service. They're in the market every day. They understand the nuances, not only of the market and data, but also how to, how to transact and, and just what's happening day to day. So that's where we are. And that's, I think we're going farther in that direction. So agents really need to, uh, or agents have a huge opportunity to not only grow their businesses, but grow their businesses a lot more quickly than I think has been possible in the past because there's access to this information that can really help them do their job and provide that high level of service more quickly, more efficiently to more clients. So it's kind of ironic. I think, you know, you guys, you guys, by you guys, I mean data and data companies who 
some were potentially looking to eliminate the real estate agent. It's almost like you've empowered the agent and are supporting them in the growth of their business and making it even more imperative for someone to have to hire a real estate agent to decipher and translate this data into, you know, real life situation. Exactly right. And I think some of the new entrants into the space that have focused on either disintermediating the professional altogether or competing on price, you know, cutting fees, have the the underlying belief there has to be that that the agent is not providing that level of value or not providing enough value to justify whatever fee it is they're collecting. And I would argue the opposite. Real estate transactions happen, you know, for the average consumer once every seven, seven and a half years, whatever it is. It's the largest transaction that consumer will have done in their lifetime to date uh, when they do transact. The stakes are super, super high and they are willing to pay for somebody to help not only make sure that they don't make any of the, that no mistakes are made, but that they actually make the right decision. I believe that that's the value that the real estate professional provides. And what we're trying to do is, as you point out, is, is empower the professional to do that more quickly, more effectively, more easily, and for more clients. What is your opinion of Zillow? And what you're seeing across the United States where you have this, you know, huge company that's got this huge market share. Um, There are a lot of people talking about the inaccuracies of their data. I believe the CEO did a Zestimate of of his property and the Zestimate came out (laughs) completely wrong. (laughs) Where do you see the future of data nationally? What do you think of Zillow? Well, a couple of things. I think that they... You know, Zillow and they own Trulia now in Street Easy in New York. They're an ad platform, an ad portal. They're an ad platform that sells their consumer eyeballs to real estate professionals, to real estate agents. They are, or companies like Zillow will always exist. They always have existed. So pre-Zillow, there was, you know, there are other websites that in the beginning of the internet and prior to that, there were classified ads and, and everything in newspapers and Reaching consumers is is very important for a real estate professional to do uh, with their listings, whether they're on the listing side or representing buyers. So there's nothing new here, and I think that'll that'll continue to be important in the marketplace. I think that to your point about uh, about this estimate, I mean it's a it's a great point or a great um, a great indication as to just how important it is to have professionals, uh, real estate professionals, real estate agents who can make sense of these data for their consumers, for their clients. Because even as you know, as great as Zillow is, and it's an incredibly, incredibly great technology, great company from everything that I know, mistakes like that still happen or mistakes like that um, can happen and do happen. And it really is important to be working with somebody who can cut through all that noise uh, for you. And again, that's a pretty obvious or large our egregious example. Um, so imagine what happens in cases that are a little bit more nuanced or that may not be as obvious as that. Yeah. So you've been working very closely, I guess, with the local uh, New York community, brokerage community, and we've been incapable of putting together an MLS uh, and having a unified system. What are your thoughts on that? We are working closely, not only with with brokerages here in New York, but also very recently announced a deal with 
with REBNY, the Real Estate Board of New York, which is the trade association that represents residential or you know, real estate professionals here in the city to actually take over their back-end clearinghouse system. So although there is no, there is not technically an MLS, uh, REBNY's RLS acts effectively as an MLS. It is a clearinghouse for listing information. It is how brokerages uh, share information with one another. The difference between the implementation here and in New York versus other markets outside of New York is that Rebney acts purely as a clearinghouse and brokerages can choose from a few different technology vendors uh, what front-end system they want their agents to be able to use. So there is not one unified uh, system that everybody's looking at. I actually think that that's a good thing because what it does is it, it allows, first of all, new companies like Perchwell to come into the space where we would not have been able to if in order to come into the space, we had to convince the entire market to use our solution. It would have been basically impossible. And so what this does is this gives brokerage firms choice and this encourages innovation and helps avoid a situation where there's you know maybe some entrenched vendor or provider that that is so entrenched and has been entrenched for decades that they know that they can't be removed or can't be taken out without significant pain among the community. And so they rest on their laurels. They don't innovate. And ultimately, in that case, it's the, the real estate professional, the agents, the brokerages who suffer. Where is the one place the consumer should be going today to get their data? You know, I'm, I'm the Brendan of, you know, looking for an apartment. Let's say I'd, I have a real estate agent, but I also want to do my own due diligence. Where do I go? You know, I know that, you know, Street Easy was a powerhouse, but I know that a lot of listings are not being fed to Street Easy. A lot of the data was not correct. Is there one place that someone can go or are we still in a disarray which needs to be resolved? Yeah. So to your point, I mean, right now, especially given some some dynamics with within the industry, Street Easy has become arguably less reliable than it was when when I was doing uh, this work manually and, and looking to buy myself. Beyond just listing information, though, there's the consumer would still have to do exactly what uh, what I've been doing myself manually, pulling data from the city and states, and aggregating it all in spreadsheets and, and trying to make sense of it. Um, it's it's basically you know it's an impossible task for anybody who's not crazy and obsessed with it like like I was, I guess. So so right now the answer is to work with an agent, work with a professional who who's using Birchwell and, and who focuses on. Uh, on that level of analysis and that level of diligence. Yeah, to the listeners out there, I promise this was not an endorsement that uh, <laughs> I planned, but thanks for the endorsement. <laughs> um, so how are you doing now? Like, what does Perchwell look like now? And um, how are you managed? Do you guys have, like, a plan for the next couple of years? Do you have enough money to continue this initiative, to build the company? How are things looking? Yeah, so we're really optimistic about what's happening now, later this year, um, and next year, and the, and the following. So we really are of the philosophy that in something that's as inherently local as real estate, um, it's imperative to get it right, really right in your home market before trying to take that model outside of your home market. So we focus really on honing not only the product, but also relationships with clients, agents, users uh, here in New York, make sure that we are 
providing them with all the tools with everything that they need. Um, and as we've done that, we've started to get ready to expand beyond New York. So we're now gearing up to uh, launch in other major markets uh, later on this year and the next. Long term, or you know, the long term vision here is that every relevant agent and every high end uh, market will have uh, Perchwell. Perchwell will be their day to day operating system, their day to day tool. It will be what they use to do their jobs. And we're now on our way to, to making that happen. Awesome. What is some advice you would give to someone who is looking to be an entrepreneur who has an idea as grand as yours was and is? Uh, what piece of advice would you give someone you know, with the luxury of having the experience that you have right now? <laughs> Other than don't do it? <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, I would say, I'd say so the, and this is not new. This is some advice that, uh, that, I, that I've gotten or that somebody else has, has already put out there, but it, it has really, I think, become clear to me just how important it is. Um, anybody looking to do this or do, looking to do something to make money because they think there's a market opportunity or because they just think that they see something financially that, that other people don't should really think twice, no matter what. The reason I say that is because no matter, no matter how things go, there will be days when um, you're second guessing yourself, when your team is second guessing you, when your investors are second guessing you. There will be a day, multiple days likely, that, um, that you think that you, everything has gone to shit. You, you, know, you maybe you were wrong or you saw the world the wrong way and, um, and there's no money to be made and you know, you're in dire financial straits or whatever it is. So I say that because the only thing that uh, that can keep you going and what kept me going through those days when when they did happen, when luckily they were few and far between, was purely the passion. It was, I knew that this had to exist. I knew that we were the team to make it exist. We were the team to bring it to market. And if you're that certain about that, you can persevere through those those really difficult situations that that will come. Every entrepreneur, I feel like, has some you know pithy way of describing the entrepreneurial journey. Mine is, I wouldn't trade this for anything, and I also wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Uh, meaning the you know the highs are super high. It's an incredible feeling. The lows can be pretty difficult, but that's a job. That's what we sign up for as entrepreneurs, and and just be prepared for that. So. How, how have you dealt with the lows? I mean, I can relate to everything you're saying. You know, I think starting your own business is no easy feat. Um, and yeah, there are, there are days where you're highly rewarded, but there are a lot of days where you're tested both mentally, emotionally, financially. How do you deal with like the lows? Do you have a certain regimen? Do you have a mentor? How do you deal with this? I do have a, a regimen, a routine. I'm very militant about uh, about keeping a routine, actually. So, and I, I try a lot of different things. I'll try anything for for an edge, basically. Um, and I I say that because some things that I've that I've been really into lately, for example, are I've started sensory deprivation or flotation therapy. You may have you may have heard of this. It's a if yeah. you're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 growing. Um, I actually, a lady that I used to work 
with started this in Nashville and she said her business is growing like exponentially. There's a huge demand for this. So maybe you can explain to our listeners what it is and where you go and what, what you do. So it's commonly called uh, today float therapy or flotation therapy. Um, used to be called sensory deprivation therapy, um, which is a little bit more descriptive. Um, and what it is basically is you go into a float chamber that is full of you know, about six or 12 inches of water with uh, 1,500 pounds of Epsom salts. So you float on top of the water, just lying down. You don't need to, uh, you're just entirely buoyant. The water temperature is uh, skin receptor neutral, meaning it is the temperature of your skin. The air in this chamber is um, also skin receptor neutral from a temperature perspective, and it's 100% humidity. It is pitch black, entirely quiet. You're in a soundproof room, soundproof chamber. So what it does is it, de it deprives you of all of your physical senses. And the reason it's or what I've found from it, one, it is extraordinarily relaxing. I go in there for now um, two to three hours at a time. Uh, so you, you can actually totally relax, but also it gets your mind into a, a different state of consciousness, I guess, for, for lack of a better word. Since you are totally deprived of any physical senses, you are not, um, your body is not worried about keeping yourself uh, or keeping itself upright, upright, calculating gravity, doing all those things that, um, you know, that happen without you knowing, you can really start to, um, or your mind goes places that it otherwise would not. It gives me a huge amount of clarity. I work through different ideas, different concepts that I'm thinking about for the business. While I'm doing that, I come to conclusions that I otherwise would not have reached if I were doing this, or if I were not uh, putting myself in that situation. So and it's also been extremely relaxing. So I'm, I'm able to do that and, and, you know, actually take my mind um, off of some of the most stressful pieces of my day to day doing that. I'm also really picked this up from somebody from another entrepreneur, but I, every single day I journal when I get home, I record not only kind of what happened that day, but also where my thoughts are, where my head is, what I'm worried about. And that's been really, really refreshing for me to look back, you know, three months, six months, 12 months from today or from any given day and, and see what my, uh, where my head was back then, see what I was worried about, the things, you know, the problems that I found or problems that I thought were, you know, going to be impossible to solve 12 months ago. Um, not only were they solved, but they seem almost like non-events or non-problems non uh, today. So it helps give me perspective and helps me keep confidence that we'll figure out a way through um, through any problem that we're having. Awesome. I, I love these two suggestions. The one, you know, I did a TED talk based on people having the ability to separate themselves and isolate themselves and basically create structured time for unstructured thinking. And you've kind of set that up. I mean, that's really what you do in this flotation experience. You have set time where you can let your mind just wander and create and it's awesome. I love I that you it, it that way. That's I'm gonna I'm gonna take that if you don't mind. Structured time for unstructured thinking because that is perfectly descriptive. Yeah, it's uh, you should check it out. It, it was a TED talk I did. It's only ten minutes long, but it's basically I think it's critical for especially entrepreneurs, but everyone to allow your subconscious mind to think freely and create. If we're constantly reacting. Um, we don't have the ability for our minds to breathe and think, which is really when 
most of the creative process takes place. You know, there's a reason why people have their greatest ideas in the shower. I'm sure your greatest ideas probably are on this flotation device. I think to our listeners, two to three hours sounds like an eternity. And I think a lot of people may be freaked out by that. I'm sure the first time you went in, you didn't do like a three-hour session. Is it something you have to work up to and like create the space in your mind where you're comfortable doing that? It does sound like a long time. And the first, typically they're in um, like one hour sessions. So the first time I did it, I did, I did it for one hour and I was, I was thinking the same thing that, you know, I don't know how people do it for longer than this. And even, and even an hour seemed, seemed long. Um, but what you find is, at least I found after that first hour, the first time I did it, I thought I was in there for 10 minutes when the music came on and started and told me to, you know, to get out. It had been an hour. I couldn't believe how quickly the time went. I did not fall asleep. I got in, but you get into this kind of theta brain state, which is this kind of state right before you fall asleep. I'm not sure if, uh, how familiar some, you know, some listeners are, but that state is oftentimes where you have a lot of ideas and a lot of, a lot of things come to you that otherwise wouldn't, you know, so if you're, when you're on the brink of sleep and you're falling asleep in bed, you may notice that, um, that you have thoughts that you otherwise don't this puts you into that state or helps you get into that state. And that's also why the time goes by super, super quickly. So anyway, so the first, to answer your question, the first time I did it, I did an hour. The next time I did it, I did two hours. And since then I do now two to three hours, at least once a week. I have gone in for, for four to five hours once, which I probably could have gone for a lot longer, but, uh, but the realities of needing to, to not spend your whole life in a float tank don't allow me to do that too much. So what are you, you're in a bathing suit, I guess, and you go into this water solution? No bathing suit. So you, you go in um, totally nude and it is a, there are two different kinds. There, there's kind of a, a chamber, which is, I think these chambers are typically like eight feet by 12 feet. It's got, I'd say 12 inches of water plus like 1500 pounds of Epsom salt. So you float on top of it like you would on the, the Dead Sea, for example, um, totally nude no sounds, no lights, no anything. And so you lose, you know, you kind of, you lose the, the sense of your body, of your physical body. You just kind of melt into this solution. And since everything is at the exact temperature of your skin, of your body, you don't have a, a sense of where your body ends and where the, the salt water starts. Don't you get all pruney? <laughs> I mean, if you stay in the shower or a bath for 20 minutes, you get your your skin shrivels up. Aren't you like an olive when you come out? <laughs> I thought the same thing. You're you're not. I don't know if it's the salt or what it is, but you're not pruned at all. <laughs> awesome. So I, you know, I've never tried it. I know I've, I, I, it, it sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to give it a shot. You know, I meditate quite a bit. And I, I think this is like a combination of like the opportunity to meditate. I think it's got a lot of the incredible things that, you know, and benefits of like, setting yourself up to think free your mind but also meditate sounds amazing let's talk about the journaling for a second so when do you journal when do you at the end of the day what is your system for journaling and then when do you go back and read what you've written so i do it at the end of the day and the reason that i started you know back when we started to work together a couple of years ago a few years ago at this point I would be, I work, I try to, I try not to work or stay at the office as late anymore, but I'd be at the office until, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And I'd be just go, go, go all day, phone calls, meetings, putting out fires, 
And so I never had the time to even reflect on what was what was happening during the day, uh, during that day. And I'd get home, I'd take my dog for a walk around uh, around the neighborhood. And that's when I would start to reflect on the day. And I I think to myself, wow, this is, you know, this is incredible. This is, I can't believe that that happened or that I was in this meeting or that this client or potential clients got in touch with us. You know, this is awesome. I don't want to forget this. So let me start writing it down. Let me start journaling. And so that was the reason I started because I just, I wanted to, I knew this was going to be an incredible journey. And I wanted to, I wanted to be able to look back and, and see what it was like from, from my own perspective. And now it's something that it, it helps me not only keep track of, of what this has been like, it's been an incredible ride, but also provides a, a source for me to go back and, uh, and yeah, read about where my head was. Um, so, so I go back, you know, really sometimes if I'm trying to solve a big or I'm in a particularly difficult situation or trying to solve a particularly big problem that I think is going to be tough to solve or is going to be the one that we can't solve, I'll go back and find the, you know, the other 10 examples when I wrote in my journal that, okay, this is the big one. This time it's different. You know, we're, I don't know how we're going to get through this to just give me that confidence. And, uh, and then sometimes I just go back and, and read for the hell of it. Um, cause it's frankly, it's pretty entertaining to, uh, to see how far we've come. That's awesome. You know, I think it's uh, inspiring and humbling at the same time. This has been such a ride. It's so, it's still surreal to me. I still cannot believe sometimes that, um, you know, that the work that my team and I do every day is, is used by people, you know, used by, used by your agents to help them do their job. Um, it's, it's surreal to me. And this is a great, just a great way to, you know, to keep that in perspective and, and be able to, you know, to look back and be able to, to see that because as we've both said, when you're in the trenches day to day, the larger kind of the larger picture can get lost and and it's it's important to to keep that in inside and in perspective. Yeah, well I think you know your attitude and openness is critical to you know the success that you guys have had. I mean I'll say that you by far are delivering the best product in the market at this time with respect to data, transparency all things that I'm a strong proponent of and, and believe really passionately about in like the dissemination, clarity and transparency of data to educate people to make a decision. Uh, and you guys are clearly, I think your open mind and your, your willingness to learn and translate that data in an easy way um, is part of your success. And I think that's going to, you know, lead you into the future and help you guys be the leader in, in this part of industry. So for that, I'm really grateful from a very selfish standpoint, I'll say. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what the next five years brings or actually next year brings, especially in New York City, where it's been so challenging to get everyone on the same page and to get transparency and data and I think the more you guys can continue to work towards that, the better it's going to be for everyone, the agents and the consumer. So I thank you for that. And, um, you know, and I know you're busy. You, hopefully you have a flotation device waiting for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just got word that this week's floats are canceled, given the coronavirus, actually. Just, yeah. just dropped on this. 
Uh, sorry to hear that, but I'm sure you'll come up with some other solution. You know, make sure you keep structuring unstructured time for thinking. And, um, you know, I want to thank you for getting on the phone with me and, and talking and sharing your personal challenges and struggles. And we'll definitely want to touch base with you in the next couple of months to see how you're doing. Any parting words of wisdom? So one point that you made, actually, that um, that I think is super important about just um, our, you know, Perchwell's willingness to not only hear from agents, from brokers about what their needs are, but then also, you know, act on that and incorporate that into the product. It's obvious. It's a truism. Should go without saying, but um, I don't think, I don't think actually does in practice. Your customers, your clients will tell you what they want. The art is, you know, hearing it, listening to it, digesting it, really, truly understanding it, and then incorporating it into the solution that you deliver them. I think that that's, that's a huge focal point of everybody at Perchwell. And as far as, you know, any words of wisdom for, um, for anybody else thinking about, about doing something similar, you know, providing some sort of software or tech solution or really, frankly, any solution, um, following through on that, doing that, making that a core focal point of everybody's day-to-day within your company, within your team will do, will work wonders. You know, I go back to, I think about what the product was when we launched with, with core as our first client. And, you know, I shudder to, I'm, I'm embarrassed to think of how bad, you know, in, in comparison to where we are today, the product was, but we, we all knew that, that it would get better every single day. And that's, that's our job. And I'm so grateful that, uh, that you were not only willing, but, um, happy to take that, that leap with us because, uh, we've come a long way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you for taking the the plunge. I mean, you have, everyone has to begin somewhere, right? So you have to have a faith and a belief and commitment and a passion to start somewhere and have the vision to see where it's going and believe in that. And you guys have done that and yeah, we're by your side and I'm very grateful for the work that you've done and uh, look forward to continuing the journey. So thanks for taking the time, Brendan. Um, and really appreciate you taking this time to share your experiences and insights. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.